Let us bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of the day. We thank you for allowing us to be here to worship you. Father, we know that the freedoms we have has not been shared throughout time, and we thank you for the ability to come and worship you in freedom and and, and praise you as we do. We uh, thank you and praise you for the blessings of the week. We uh, pray that what we do always here this ministry and within our personal lives, that it would be a blessing and an honor to you. And we ask all this, and we give you glory and praise in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to see everybody here today. Where today I want to continue with the, uh, my series on the uh, fruits of the Spirit, and we're going to be focusing on, as you might have uh, guessed already, uh, long-suffering. Now, before we do that, I'm going to review all nine fruits of the Spirit. It's important that we do this, I think, with each, each one of these messages. So here's a fruit, so Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So that's the first one, and, you know, we should know that's the most important one. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. Against such, it says there is no law. And as we've talked about in the previous messages, what we find here, I believe, is the bedrock of what it is to be a believer. You know, while we know that the commandments are important, we, we know that. We should be keeping the Sabbath and those, those uh, commandments we find within the Word. But it's equally important that we honor the attributes we find within this passage. You know, I believe that Joshua exemplified each and every attribute we find here within this passage. And as his people, we know that we're to emulate, we're to follow, we're to do as he did. We're to follow in his examples. So again, today I want to focus on long-suffering. So what does it mean to be long-suffering? What does that mean? I think some of us, most of us probably understand some of what that means. But let's look at the Greek. Let's understand what this word means more fully. So the Greek word is makrothumia, and it refers to forbearance or fortitude. And that's what we find here in Strong's, forbearance or fortitude. Now, synonyms for forbearance would include things like patience, self-control, restraint. You know, all of these are very important characteristics. Now, the, uh, I don't think I have this note. So the uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word in this way. It says patience, forbearance, long-suffering, slowness, and avenging wrongs. So we see here that long-suffering carries with it this idea of slowness to avenge somebody who's done us wrong in some way, or retribution. So we see a connection between this Greek word that we generally use for forbearance or long-suffering or patience with also this idea of forgiveness. Now, think about how often we use long-suffering throughout the week. You know, we use patience with our spouses, Unless you have my spouse and no patience is required whatsoever. I told my wife I'd slip her in every so often throughout this message. But we also need patience with our children. Most of us know that with kids. Friends. And even those we don't know, right? Patience with strangers or people that we have no um, friendship with. So let me give you some examples. You know, one of the things I do when counseling couples for marriage is I speak about marriage not always being easy. You know, some of these newlyweds, they 
approach marriage thinking everything's harmonious, there's never going to be any issues, everything's going to flow without any concern, without a conflict. Where after 20 years of marriage, I know that's not the case, and, and I've done enough marriage counseling over the years to know that's not the case for most, and really for everybody, and we, we all have issues and, and uh, areas where we uh, don't mesh, and, and that's to be expected. You know, because marriage is between two people, and uh, nobody thinks alike. Nobody has all the same views or, or likes, opinions, uh, viewpoints. So there's going to be conflict in a marriage. And at times, these differences will cause, again, conflict within that relationship. And, you know, there's many ways of dealing with the differences. And, and uh, of course, I've, again, talked to uh, many couples throughout the years. And, and uh, each marriage is unique and each situation is unique. But one thing that is shared in all is, is the need for patience or long-suffering. So that's one way we apply long-suffering or patience is in, in our marriage. Another example is being a parent. You know, being a father of two daughters, I would say that children require more patience than anything else on this earth. There's nothing that really uh, compares to uh, the patience you have to have as a parent, as a father. And I'm not going to give any personal examples. I, I'm sure that would um, upset my uh, girls, embarrass them. So I'm going to refrain from that today. But if you're a parent, you know that if you have kids, kids require incredible patience, especially as they get older and older and it just gets worse from what I've been told. Another example with patience might be uh, folks you work with. So I'm going to share with you a personal example here. Years ago, I used to work for the Department of Conservation. While there, I was managing a multi-million dollar uh, upgrade to a, what they were calling an enterprise geospatial environment. Now, uh, one of the ladies on the team, she was concerned only about her and her sponsor and uh, how they would benefit from the project. You know, throughout the project, she was uh, overly critical. She was uh, making demands that were counterproductive and pushing her own agenda. And believe me when I say she tried my patience like nobody I've worked with before. You know, as a project manager for, I don't know, about 10 years now, I guess, in all, I've worked with a lot of people, hundreds, hundreds of different people, and, and she is right there on the top. Uh, she required, required an, uh, an incredible amount of patience, so again, you know, we see examples of uh, patience, long-suffering, and, and where we need, how we need that within our life. You know, whether that be with our spouse, again, our coworkers, uh, people we, uh, we, we don't even know. Uh, we need patience. We need long-suffering. So this message is not only something we need as believers, but also individually as people. To make us better people, uh, we need patience, and uh, we see that within the Word. And this is one reason why I believe long-suffering is one of the most important fruits we find Again, not only does it exemplify Yahshua the Messiah and who he was, and as we know, we're to always follow in his, in his examples and his footsteps. And Yahshua, he was incredib- incredibly patient. Now, there were times, and I'm not going to go through those, but he, you know, he flipped a few tables over during his days and, and uh, called a few names, depending on who it was. But, um, so he wasn't always patient, but he had reasons for those uh, moments. But as we see throughout his ministry he was a very patient person. And as believers, we're to follow in his examples. Now, saying that, there is one caveat. And I believe it's possible to be too patient. How many people here believe that they're too patient? Now, we have one. There's always one. There's always one. Now, we have two. Okay. 
You know, now why do I say that? Or if we're too patient, I believe that it's possible that we can enable people with bad behavior to make bad decisions. So it's important that we're not too patient. You know, we need to be patient, but not to the detriment of others or to the detriment of our own selves, because when we do this, we also put ourselves at risk. Now, saying that again, this probably isn't a problem for the majority of us. The majority of us probably needs more patience than, than uh, less patience. I want to open up to the word now, something uh, we find in Psalms, Psalms 37, verse 7. This is an important lesson in patience, I believe. It says, rest in Yahweh and wait patiently for him. It says, fret not. Now, what does that mean, fret not? Where basically means don't be concerned with. Don't be overly concerned with. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not, again, don't be concerned with, thyself in any wise to do evil. For evil, evil, evil doers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon Yahweh, shall, they shall inherit the earth. So it says here, number one, that we're to rest in Yahweh. And that we're to wait patiently for him. goes on to say that we're not to worry about when people, bad people succeed, when they, they're successful in some way. You know, when we see some sort of injustice, do we become upset? Do we become impatient? You know, maybe one of our coworkers got a promotion we wanted. But they did so through cheating or doing something malicious or unfair. Now, assuming there's nothing we can do about it, I believe in these cases all we can simply do is rest in Yahweh. That's such an important concept for resting in Yahweh and patiently waiting on him. I know we know this, but you know, we need to remind ourselves that as long as we're living for Yahweh, as long as we're doing it Yahweh's way, as, as long as we're devoting each and every day to our Father in heaven, that, that he is on our side. You know, think about the reality for just a moment of that statement. The most important being in this universe, the one that we worship, he is the one supporting and providing for us. Now, there's not a greater being in this universe that we can turn to for support, and we know that he is with us. Now, does this mean that we're going to receive health, wealth, and prosperity in this life? That he's going to bless us in this way? Or as many of us know, this isn't the case. You know, Just because we follow Yahweh does not guarantee that we're going to be blessed in this way, that we're going to be blessed with health, wealth, and prosperity. In fact, we know this is not often the case. You know, we know from the word that he often works with those with less, with the poor, and with those who have little. But what it does guarantee is that we're going to prosper in the life to come, and that's the important part. And this is a reason why we as believers should always be focused, I believe, on the future. Focused on the future, not on the present. How many of us focus on the present? Or I would say all of us, we all focus on the present. Many of us focus on the present. We focus too much on the present. We don't focus enough on the future. We don't focus enough realizing, considering the promises that awaits those called and chosen. You know, as we see in the word, there are many blessings awaiting those who are found worthy at Yahshua's coming. Here are some of the... Uh, things we find within the word. For one, we know that Yahweh promises that when Yahshua returns, that we're going to be changed from mortal to immortal. At this time, the Messiah said that we would be as the angels in heaven, that we would never die, that we would forever live. Number two, we also know that we're going to rule and reign with the Messiah in the kingdom. Now, what 
what is more, what is superior to this concept of living forever and being with our Savior forever? Can you think of anything better in this life? Maybe a Mercedes, maybe a BMW, maybe a big house, or maybe some sort of prestigious position. Well, there's nothing better. There's nothing more worthwhile than, than this promise of everlasting life within Yahweh's kingdom. I want to share with you what we find in Isaiah 40, verse 31. It's very similar to what we find here in Psalms. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But they that wait upon Yahweh. So again, we see this concept of, of patiently waiting upon our Father in heaven. It says, Those who do so shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. You know, we see that in Scripture, don't we? This concept of, of eagles' wings. You know, we see it in Israel. In the Old Testament, when Israel was taken out of Egypt, Yahweh says that he, they were taken out by the wings of the eagle. And we also see it in Revelation 12, where it says that by the, by the wings of the eagle, the, the woman, which represents the assembly, is going to be taken out to a place of refuge. It says for a time, time and a half a time, or for three and a half years. And we see the same thing here. So this concept of eagles refers, is a s- symbolic of Yahweh's provision and protection. goes on to say, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I believe we have a song, actually, from that. Now, just as we saw in Psalms 37, we see here that we're to wait on Yahweh. And we're to allow him to renew our strength. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations when we've exhausted our patience and have nothing more to give. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself in that situation where you've exhausted all your patience? You've done everything you can possibly do, and there's nothing more you can do. You know, when we find ourselves in these moments, when we find ourselves in the moments that we've done everything we can do, and there's nothing more to give, we're to give it over to Yahweh. We're to wait on Yahweh. We're to be patient for him. And we're to allow Yahweh to, to, to renew our strength. And yeah, it sounds real simple. It sounds very simple. We're just wait and do nothing. But you know, waiting and doing nothing and relying and having faith in the one we worship is very, very hard. But as believers, we're to do this. Now, that's not to say if we can take action, if we can do something to, to improve the situation, we shouldn't. But that is to say in those cases where there's nothing more we can do, that we're to give it over to him, we're to wait on him, and we're to be patient and allow Yahweh to renew our strength. And he can and will. You know, it's important to remember that, again, we worship the creator of this vast universe and that he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, there's nothing above him, there's nothing beyond him, and that he can do all things within his time. So in those moments, again, where we find ourselves giving everything we have to give, and there's nothing more to give, there's nothing more we can do that we're to wait on Yahweh. And I think those are very good words of wisdom we find within Scripture. We're to rest in Yahweh. We're to give it to him, and we're to allow him to renew our strength. Well, let's move on and talk about being patient with one another. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, Paul has something to say about this. He says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of Elohim, or who's the elect of Elohim? This is referring to the saints, to those called and living his truth. He goes on to say, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Messiah forgave you, so also do you. 
Now, before talking about long-suffering here, I want to I consider some of the other attributes we find in this passage. So in this passage, Paul uh, lists, he mentions several important characteristics. He mentions mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, forbearance, and forgiveness. Now, for a few moments, I want to delve into each one of these words. The uh, word mercy, what do you suppose this means, the word mercy? Or in the Greek, this word refers to showing pity or compassion. So as believers, we're to show pity or compassion to one another. The word kindness refers to showing gentleness. Now, here's a really interesting note. It's in the Greek, Strong's says that this word also conveys a thought of moral excellence in character or demeanor. So when we show kindness to somebody, when we show, when we show a gentleness to somebody, we are also showing that we have excellent moral character. That's a great thing, and I believe that's something we should all strive to, uh, to do. Now, the phrase humbleness of mind, this is actually a compound within the Greek, and if I can pronounce this, is tepanophros une, and it refers to humility or being modest, having a modest opinion of yourself. Now, according to Strong's word meekness here literally means mildness, by implication, humility. So we find here Paul using two different words, conveying very close to the same thing, that we're to be humbled. And we know how important hum- uh, humility is scripturally. You know, humility, I, I believe, is the uh, opposite of pride. And I believe that pride is one of the most destructive attributes we find within the carnal nature. The word forbearance comes from the Greek word anikomia. And uh, the King James translates this word as to endure, forbear, or to suffer. So, again, this word forbearance means to, to have patience, to, to suffer, to, to, again, endure some sort of situation. Now, lastly, here the word forgiveness means to uh, grant as a favor. That is uh, kindness, pardon, or rescue. So we see these are the meanings of all these words we find within this passage. Now, Paul also says here where and to whom we should show these attributes too. He says that we should show this to one another. That is to the assembly or body of believers. So this is the obligation. This is the responsibility we have to show things like, again, kindness, humbleness, forbearance to one another. You know, last message I spoke about Joshua's statement, and we see this in Matthew 23. But Yahshua, Matthew 23, he speaks about the weightier matters. I know most of us are familiar with this, the weightier matters. And I believe that all the attributes, all the characteristics we find here would fall under this understanding, this category of weightier matters. And, and why is that important? Well, it's important because these are the things that Yahshua is very concerned with. These are the items that Yahshua wants us as believers to focus on. Things, again, like showing kindness and forgiveness and forbearance and mercy and pity and sympathy to one another, and empathy, as we also find within the word. You know, I've said throughout this series, and I do believe this, it's a lot easier keeping the Sabbath than, than, than applying and adopting the characteristics we find within the fruits of the Spirit. It's real easy, in my opinion, to show up on Sabbath, although I know a lot of people struggle with that. But it's real easy, in my opinion, to show up on Sabbath and, and go through the motions of doing or not doing what we should as believers. Same thing is true about the feast days. I think it's pretty easy to go through the motions and, and, and honor Yahweh by doing what we should be doing on, on the feast days. 
But when we're talking about changing who we are from the inside, this is a very hard thing to do. Again, changing characteristics such as, again, forgiveness or mercy or pity or compassion or, as we're talking about today, patience. You know, in Matthew 15, Mark 7, I'm not going to turn there, but in this passage we find Yahshua speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, and, and uh, they were uh, insisting that Yahshua's disciples go through these ritual washings. And at the end of this passage, Yahshua is chastising the scribes and Pharisees, not because of what they were doing physically, but what was coming forth from the heart. You see, they had a heart issue, and Yahshua understood that. And he said, it's not what goes in, but what comes out. And that's such an important concept for us as believers to understand. You know, again, we can keep the commandments, and we should keep the commandments. But it's also important that we go beyond keeping the commandments, changing who we are on the inside. And that's really why I'm doing this series on the fruits of the Spirit, because it's not enough to simply keep the Sabbath. I really believe that. It's not enough to simply call upon the name. It's not enough to keep the feast days. It's not enough to to keep kosher. As believers, we must go beyond that. Because Yahweh is looking for the cream of the crop. He's looking for people who will change not only their, their outward um, duty or outward tasks or whatever they do outwardly, but also who they are inwardly. And that is a very hard thing to do, changing who we are from an inward perspective. Now, Paul also mentions here that we're to show long-suffering to one another. Now, this is from the same Greek word that we found in Galatians 5, referring to the fruits of the Spirit. So as believers, we're to be patient with those in the assembly. Where this means that instead of passing judgment or being critical, that we're to show empathy and forgiveness to one another. And that's a very important concept, again, to understand as as disciples of the Messiah. You know, Yahshua showed, again, empathy. He showed compassion to those during his ministry. His issue was more of the Pharisaical leaders. That's That's where his rev was, and that's where his struggle was. That's where his issue was. It wasn't with those who did not know, or those who were learning, or maybe those who were not fully um, doing what they should be doing. No, it was the religious leaders who were pompous, those pharisaical leaders that we find within the New Testament. Now, how often or how many times are we to show long-suffering or patience to one another? Is Is there a point when we say, I've done enough? Is there a point that we can say, you know, I've forgiven you X, Y, and Z, and I have no more obligation to forgive you. I have no more obligation to show patience. I have no more obligation to show long-suffering. Of course not. You know, Yahshua, in uh, Matthew 18, him and Peter were talking about this, and Peter asked Yahshua there how often or how many times he was required to forgive his brethren. And Yahshua said, said there 70 times 7. Now, we know this is a symbolic number. What Yahshua is conveying in this message is that we're to forgive as often as somebody asks for forgiveness. That's the concept. There is no number. There is no number. If, if somebody does us wrong 100, 200, 300 times, and they come back and they, they ask for forgiveness, and they admit they're wrong, we're to forgive them, and we're to move on. Now, this also applies for long-suffering and patience. And as you can imagine, this kind of uh, long-suffering, showing patience after patience after patience. And there's people like that. There's people like that where they require more long-suffering than others. And as believers, we're to show that. We have an obligation to show that. 
Now, we also know that we build patience through tribulation. I want to read a few passages, too, on this. And first one is Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. It says there in Romans, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. So, so why would we glory in tribulation? Why would we be happy about tribulation? Well, Paul explains, he says, but knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience and experience hope. So we find here a progression. We find here first that tribulation brings what? It says here that tribulation brings patience. Second, we find that patience brings experience. Now this, as a side note, I want to I explore this word patience for just a moment. It's from the Greek word, it's from the Greek, and the word is dokime. Now, dokime comes from another Greek word, and that is dokimos. Now, dokimos means acceptable or approved. Acceptable or approved. So when we go through tribulation, it builds patience, and that patience builds a state of approval or acceptance. That's what we find scripturally. Now, this state of acceptance in the end, we find here, brings hope. Now, what do you think, what do you think this um, refers to, this, this hope? Well, I believe this is a reference to, the, to Yahweh's kingdom. So we find the value in tribulation here. James also speaks about this. I want to turn there. James uh, chapter 1, 2 through 4 says, My uh, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, and entire wanting nothing. So notice the first thing we find here. James says here that we should be glad when we fall or come against temptations or trials. Now, why do you suppose this is? Sort of answered this in the previous passage. Whereas we see here, patience or tribulation, uh, temptations, it builds patience. It builds character. And that's why we, we should be glad when we go through these times or opportunities of growth. Because as we know from the word, this patience will lead, it says, to perfect works. And we're, what will we achieve if we have perfect works? Or inevitably, we're going to achieve the kingdom, right? So again, we see a progression. We have tribulation. Tribulation builds long-suffering or patience. Long-suffering or patience builds good works. And that good works will then make us worthy of Yahweh's kingdom. And you know, I know a lot of people disagree with this. A lot of people out there say we have to do absolutely nothing for the kingdom. Yahshua's going to do it all for us. And even when you mention a word like worthy or works, they get all upset. You're nothing more than a legalist. You know, Scripture says that, that we must have good works. And the Bible says that we're going to be judged based on our works, based on how we lived. So we see here, the, again, the progression of, of how this works with tribulation, and again, tribulation leading to uh, patience or long-suffering, and that patience leading to good works, and inevitably to, I believe, Yahweh's kingdom. So as believers, let me ask, how patient are we? How patient are we? For a moment, 
And I just want you to do this. No, no raising hands or anything. I don't want to know. So from a scale of 1 to 10, how patient are you? With, with 1 being the absolute worst and, one, and, and 10 being just, just fantastic. Where do you fall in? 1 to 10. Again, I don't want you to share that. You can share it afterwards, maybe. No, I... You know, would we uh, say that we're a very patient person or would we acknowledge that uh, we fall somewhat short when it comes to patience or long-suffering? Do we show patience with our families or, or to those within the assembly or, or do we find ourselves sometimes losing our patience, losing that long-suffering that we should have? You know, as believers, we're to strive to live by and adopt the characteristics we find within the fruits of the Spirit. And again, I, I cannot emphasize enough why this is important and the and the benefits of living by the characteristics we find within the Word, especially, again, the fruits of the Spirit, including the one we're looking at today, and that is patience or long-suffering. Now, in James chapter 5, verse 10, we find an example of a man who, who exemplified patience, who really, who really was a great example. So James 5, 10 through 11, it says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of Yahweh, for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. So again, we see here this, this connection between affliction, tribulation, and patience. goes on to say, Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of Yahweh. Just as a side note, the word end there is telos. And it's the same word we find in Romans 10 verse uh, 4, where it says that the Messiah is the end of the law. Well, certainly this is not the end of Yahweh. This is, simply means a goal. That's what it means in the great telos in the goal. So this is kind of an important, important to uh, note there. The word end is telos, and telos refers to a goal. It says that Yahweh is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So James begins here by speaking about the prophets of old. And he says here that through their affliction and patience, they were counted happy. Now, in the Greek and also in the Hebrew, happy simply means blessed. So they were blessed because of their patience, because of their tribulation that they suffered, and the forbearance that they showed. Now, you might remember the Greek word for long-suffering is makrothumia. And uh, again, this refers to this concept of forbearance. It refers to this concept of fortitude. You know, a man who showed incredible fortitude, the man who showed incredible patience was Job. In fact, James uses this man, Job, as the example of patience. You know, for those who know the story of Job, you know how this man suffered. For those who don't, I want to take a few moments and just read the first chapter of Job. So I don't have this on the slide, the verbiage anyway. So um, if you would, you can either just listen in or or follow me in your Bible, but we're going to read Job 1, the entire chapter of Job 1. So it says this in verse 1, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared Elohim and eschewed evil. So we find here that Job had a very good reputation, that he was very devout in his faith. Verse 2, and there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 
3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-donkeys, and a very great household. So that his, this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. So Job, you know, we, we, I don't know if we really think of Job in this way, but he was very notable. He was very esteemed during his day where he lived because of the great wealth and abundance that he had. Verse 4 says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one of his, on his uh, day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sacrificed, sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed Elohim in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, for a moment, I just want you to notice that word continually. You know, this really shows the faith and the commitment that Job had for Yahweh and for his faith. He was always concerned about not only himself, but also making amends for something his children may have done wrong. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of Elohim came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan came also among them. And Yahweh said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. You know, I think Satan works the same way today. He is constantly moving, looking, looking to accuse, especially those of Yahweh's people. And verse 8 continues, it says, Yahweh said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And there is none like him in the earth. So notice the words Yahweh uses to describe this man Job. Yahweh here is recognizing the devotion of Job, recognizing the dedication of this man. He says here that there is literally nobody on earth like Job. You know, in some ways, this reminds me of Noah. You know, we know that Noah was found righteous among all the men of the earth. Nobody else was found righteous, only Noah. And for that reason, we know that Noah received grace in Yahweh's sight. And we see the same thing here with Job, that, that he says that, that he was perfect, he was upright, and that there was nobody on earth like this man Job. Some people, some people believe that the story of Job is, is motivated through some sort of wrong Job did. I really don't believe that I've always struggled with that concept. I'm not saying Job was, was perfect in every way. We know that everybody falls short in some way. But Job was a good man, I believe. And I believe that Job was simply tested uh, through, through uh, Satan. But I think Yahweh knew that he would succeed, and he did. Verse 9, Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, Doth Job fear Elohim afore not? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house? and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. You see, Satan recognized here that Job was blessed. And what Yahweh did is he put a hedge of protection, as we see here in Scripture, around Job, so that Satan could not touch this man. Satan could not persecute this man. It also shows here that Satan is somewhat limited. We see here that Satan had to get permission before he could uh, persecute Job as he would do. So verse 11, it says, But put forth thine hand now, and touch 
all that he hath, and he will curse, uh, curse thee to thy face. And Yahweh said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of Yahweh. So we see here that, that Yahweh has now given permission for Satan to test Job, to take everything away except his own life. In verse 13 it says, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now, just imagine for just a moment, I want to pause for just a moment, Imagine being Job, because what we're going to find within this passage is that he's going to receive bad news after bad news after bad news, and horrible, horrible news. I mean, news that would bring a man down to his knees. So imagine being Job, and imagine having the wealth and the prosperity and the blessings, and then seeing all of that go by the wayside in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, literally within hours So 14, there came a messenger unto Job, speaking about the oxen. Verse 15, verse 16, it says, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of Elohim has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And only and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now you can imagine after seeing fire coming down from heaven, you're thinking, you know, this, this must be Yahweh's judgment, but we know it's not. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans or Babylonians came out thee, uh, three bands, and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain thy servants with the edge of the sword, and, only, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So he has literally lost everything at this point, everything this man had of value. And it says, verse 20, Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. How many of us would do that? How many of us, after losing everything of value, the immediate response, the initial response, the knee-jerk reaction, is to fall on our knees and praise and worship Yahweh? I'm not sure if any, anybody in this room would do what Job did. Verse 21 and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh hath taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. What an incredible fortitude and faith this man showed. In verse 22, it ends, it says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged Elohim foolishly. What are some of the highlights we find here? Or again, as we see in this passage, Job was upright. 
It says that Job was perfect. It says that there was nobody like Job in all the earth, that he was a step above the others. We also see that he feared Yahweh. Now, we also find that in, in addition to his faith, that he had wealth. He had seven sons, three daughters in abundance. Three, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 uh, oxen, and 500 donkeys. Now, I'm not sure what the wealth of that would be today, how we would correlate that in, in modern terms. But that's a lot of animals, and animals meant wealth. So we see here that Job was a very wealthy man. And all of this was taken away. So what happened in the story? We find here that Satan came to Yahweh and uh, almost taunting Yahweh. And uh, Yahweh then asks again, you know, have you considered my servant Job? And uh, talking about how great he is, that he's perfect, that he's righteous, that there's nobody like him. Of course, since Satan points out, it's only because you have put a hedge of protection that you're protecting him. And we see here Yahweh, though, saying, I'm going to remove this. And he said, you can test him. You can try him. But Yahweh knew that Job would not turn. Yahweh knew that Job would not curse, that Job would not remove, that Job would not relent, that it dedication, the devotion that he had for Yahweh. In fact, again, as we see in this story, when all these things happened, he immediately falls down and he worships Yahweh. And after he worships Yahweh, he then praises the name of Yahweh. Imagine being Job for just a moment. Imagine being in Job's position. You're at home. Somebody comes. You've lost all your wealth through some sort of series of events. And then while that person is speaking, another person comes in the room and says, your children are dead. You know, what would you do? How would you respond? Do you believe that you would have the long-suffering, the fortitude, the patience to, uh, to immediately, to first, to initially praise Yahweh, to fall down and worship him, to recognize that Yahweh has given and Yahweh has also taken away and removed? Or again, I believe that very, very, very few of us would have this initiative, would have this devotion. You know, it got so bad that at one point, and by the way, things got worse for Job. I, you know, as you read this story, he got um, these uh, nasty sores all over his body that he had to scrape off. So he's, you know, he's lost everything you can imagine. Everything that was dear and near to him is gone. And then he develops these health issues, these, these ulcers, uh, some say, but these boils that he had to scrape off of his body to find some relief. Things got so bad for this man that at one point, his wife tells him, curse Yahweh and die. That was what he was told to do from his wife. And of course, we know that he never did this. He refused to curse Yahweh and die. So how did Job respond to losing everything? Well, in the story, we find that he was distraught. He was bewildered as to why these things were happening. In fact, most of Job is a dialogue between him and his friends trying to uh, understand why these things were happening. You know, throughout the book, Job claims his innocence, claims he's done nothing wrong, while his friends assumed and accused him of doing something wrong. And you can see why. I mean, here all this is happening, and they're assuming, look, if, 
if this is happening, Yahweh obviously is displeased some reason, some, some, some wine. So what's, what did you do? Of course, again, Job, <laughs> Job uh, um, claims his innocence all throughout this book. You know, considering all that this man suffered, it's amazing that he never cursed Yahweh. It's amazing that he never gave up. It's amazing that he never relented his faith. But he never did. You know, this is why Job is the example for patience or long-suffering. And there's, you know, we find suffering all through our scripture, but I don't believe anybody suffered like Job. This man never blamed Yahweh, even though he lost everything, even though everything was taken away. Everything that he loved, everything that he valued was taken away within, within a moment. One servant after another coming and reporting the loss of these items that he cherished and valued. How would you respond? You know, would we have the same long-suffering that Job showed? Or, you know, I think most of us would agree that we would not. We would not. Now, because of his patience and faith in Yahweh, we know that Job was blessed at the end. We see this in Job chapter 40, uh, 42, verse 10. So Job 42, verse 10 through 17 says, And Yahweh turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. So we find here that there was some reconciliation, by the way, because some bad blood had developed between him and his friends. And we find that Job prayed for his friends. And when this happened, Yahweh forgave, but also blessed Job. It says also, uh, also Yahweh gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters, and they that had been of his acquaintance before. I guess they were just avoiding him during his time of tribulation. Things got good. The, the, the family and the friends began to come back. It says, And did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that Yahweh had brought upon him. Now we know that Yahweh was not bringing the evil. It was Satan, but Yahweh allowing it. Says every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So Yahweh blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And in all the land where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So we find that Job saw multiple generations after he suffered as he did. So, so it says a conclusion here, so Job died being full, being old, and full of days. So we find here that Yahweh blessed Job with, with twice what he had in the beginning. It says here that he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Again, this, this had value. This was, this was how they determined their substance, their wealth. And he was a very wealthy man, again. He was also blessed with seven more sons and three daughters. So his wife conceived, and they had more children. Matter of fact, in fact, we find here the same number of children. So what lesson do we find in Job? Or, uh, there's, there's lots of lessons in Job. But for this message, the one lesson I want to really point out is, is patience, long-suffering, all that this man went through, everything that he, he endured. You know, Job, again, exemplified what it means to show long-suffering, to show patience. Even though he literally lost everything that he had, everything that he valued, 
He never quit. He never relinquished his faith. Even after being told by his own wife to curse Yahweh and die. You know, what would you think as a man, as a husband? And you've lost everything. You're sitting, sitting there as, you know, in a pathetic situation, boils cover, you know, covering your body, miserable. And your wife looks over to you and says, you know what, Job? Just curse Yahweh and die. Yahweh will just put you out of your misery. You know, I believe part of the reason why Yahweh allowed Satan to test Job, though, was an example for us. You know, sometimes you ask, you know, why did this happen or why did that happen? Think about the example Job have, has served throughout time. Job has been an inspiration, I think, to a lot of people because he was able to overcome, he was able to hold true, even against impossible odds. I want to consider one more example before closing, and that's uh, 2 Corinthians 11, beginning, beginning in verse 23. This is the example of the Apostle Paul. And I really admire Paul for so, so, so many reasons, but here we find one reason. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, it says, In stripes of a measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft or often, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. You see, they would stop at 39 because they were not allowed to go beyond 40. Thrice or three times was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I, was, I suffered shipwreck a night and a day. I've been in the deep. And journeys often in perils of water and perils of robbers. And perils by my own countrymen by his fellow Jews. You know, we're reading, by the way, the book of Acts in in the Bible study. And it's amazing because Paul's persecutors were not the Greeks. They were not the Romans. Paul's persecutors were of his own people. Paul's persecutors were the believing Jews. Those who refused to accept Yahshua the Messiah, those Jews, these were the ones who were persecuting Paul, as we find here. And perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, those who claimed to be believers but were not, and weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the assemblies. You know, while Paul did not suffer like Job, because I don't think anybody suffered like poor Job. I think what we see here from Paul is an awful thing. You know, he went through an awful lot to preach and to be a witness to the good news. As we see here, he was whipped, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was in the ocean, floating, His life was often in danger. He was without many of the basic necessities. It says that he was hungry often. He was thirsty. Beyond this, we also find that he had the weight of all the assemblies upon his shoulders. So this man really went through a lot. You know, Paul suffered from a tremendous amount during his ministry. And this is one reason why I admire this man as I do. He was completely devoted, absolutely devoted to the one he worshipped and to Yahshua the Messiah. And there was nothing, as we find in the word, that would discourage him, that would pull him away from this purpose. No matter what tribulation he had to suffer, nothing was going to stop him from sharing the good news of of his uh, Savior. 
You know, besides for Yahshua the Messiah, I'm not sure if any other man in the New Testament suffered like Paul. He really went through a lot. And again, I think he's a great example for us. You know, as believers, do we share this same determination? Do we share this same fortitude? Remember that the word long-suffering doesn't only mean patience. It also means fortitude, this, this longevity, this insistence to continue on. Do we have this same commitment? Do we have this same fortitude? You know, what would we do if we suffered like Paul here? You know, would we have the same drive and devotion to continue on no matter what? You know, as we get closer to Yahshua's coming, questions like these become more important. And I don't know when Yahshua's coming. I'm not real big on times or dates, even to say 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. And I don't care to know. Because I don't think scripture wants us to know. But we know that as time becomes closer, that things will become worse. Yahshua said this in the Olivet Prophecy, Matthew 24. He said, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. The great tribulation is going to be a time like none other. The persecution that many believers will suffer at this time will test their faith and devotion like nothing else. And I know not everybody's going to be tested, but Scripture also promises for some that he's going to take them into the wilderness for a time and time and a half a time, for three and a half years. He's going to protect them. He's going to nourish them. He's going to feed them, I believe. But we also know that some will die as a martyr, as a testimony to the faith. If that person be you, will you be able to stand? Are you going to be able to stand as Paul did, no matter what? trials, no matter what tribulations, no matter what we go through, no matter what obstacles Satan puts within our, in our way, no matter what we must endure or go through, will we withstand, will we remain true to our commitment, or will we give up and throw in the towel? You know, believe me when I say we have it very good right now. We really do. And I think we're very blessed to live in a nation where we have lots of freedoms, You know, we can worship Yahweh when we want, how we want. There's no interference. There's nobody saying you can't do this. There's no threat. There's no concern for imprisonment. But that's not true in other places. You know, some of these Arab nations, that's not true. Even some of the other nations, they're limited as to what they can do. They can't say certain things. They can't preach against certain sins. Or there's going to be repercussions, hate speech, imprisonment incarceration. We're very, very blessed to live in a nation where we have the freedoms we do. But I believe someday we may not have the freedoms we have today. I believe someday that we may risk incarceration. We may risk imprisonment. We may risk some sort of other tribulation, some sort of trial that we will go through if we remain true to the commitment we made. Will we have the long-suffering? Will we have the patience? Will we have the fortitude to remain true to our Father in heaven if that day comes upon us? And again, I do believe that that day is possible. And I think it's foolish of us to believe that that day is not possible. You know, this is why these characteristics we find within the, within, uh, the fruits of the Spirit are so important. Each one holds value. 
that makes us into a better believer, a better disciple of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. And not only for our relationship between us and Yahweh, but also in our relationships with others. You know, who wouldn't want a, a parent, a friend, a brother or sister in the faith, a coworker, more patient, more long-suffering? I think we all would want a person to be more patient, to have these characteristics. Same thing with all the other fruits, you know, whether it be love or joy or peace, you know, that we're these, these characteristics, they make us into a better person. They make us into a better disciple. You know, I pray that this message on long-suffering has been a blessing to you. I would encourage you to think upon what we've heard today. Really consider what we've heard today. And look at your life, evaluate your life, and ask, how can I adopt these principles within my life? Because listen, if, if, if we get these messages, if we preach Yahweh's word, but there's no change, we're wasting our time. I'm wasting my time, and you're wasting your time. The whole point of a believer is to change and to be better than who we are today. To, to change into somebody that exemplifies our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. So I pray that, again, this message has encouraged you to do so, that we would, again, become better people. In this case, that we would be more patient, that we would show a greater long-suffering for those in the assembly and also in life. May Yahweh bless you.